reaction and our new opening theme right i'm just gonna like cut, cut out the old opening theme and that'll be the new one every time now yeah no just zane doing some late 40s scat work there you go oh lord that is that is not gonna happen even a little anyway we're back for our reaction end of ghosts of the past our theme from last time in which I brought the amazing, highbrow, artistic powerhouse that is Full Contact. You don't even believe that. <laughs> I don't know. No. No. Any, any, any movie with a, a super slutty woman named Virgin in it probably does not get the title of Artistic Powerhouse. She was super slutty? Well, we'll get to it. <laughs> we'll get to it. I mean... You know, by th that's what they were trying to portray her as, whether that succeeded or not. I mean, yeah, I guess. Well, I brought in a Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which was not particularly Mission, slutty. Mission, missions Impossible. Yeah, Mission Impossible Four. <laughs> oh, which was incredibly mission heavy. I gotta say, even by Mission Impossible standards. So, so How do you feel about the missions, Zane? It, it wasn't not fun. I enjoyed it. It was very mission heavy, but it definitely felt like they had five ideas for different Mission Impossible movies, but could never. Man, they they would knew they would never get Tom Cruise to like make fifteen of these. Like they didn't have time or budget to make fifteen more Mission Impossible movies. So they're just like, let's just make all of the Mission Impossible movies in this one. All the ideas we have kicking around and then we'll move on from there. Well hold on, because I believe the budget for this movie was a hundred and forty million dollars. Budget was no problem here. No. It was like, oh no, we only have Tom Cruise for this amount of time. Yeah. So yeah. we need to spend all of our money on this one movie with him. Yeah. So high but not yeah, I'm not saying like but they don't you know, budget for one massive blockbuster, even if it's a massive budget, isn't the same as budget for fifteen massive blockbusters where they could have easily stretched out Russian prison escape or failed Moscow mission to get uh, codes or, you know, big, massive Dubai tower car getting chase scene thing into each one into their own movies. Well, I mean, the car getting chase scene probably wasn't even the expensive part of the Dubai mission. Like, they had him climbing up the outside of the Burj Khalifa. Yeah. The, the point being, it was... It was fun, but it was also like several several movies of fun, you know? Right. And I, I, I can also see, I think, I have to assume that that's why you enjoyed it. Because it, it is about as little plot with as much non-plot action as you can possibly have. 
so somebody online brought up an idea, and I think it might have been an XKCD comic, about like, what if there was an action movie? A movie where every scene was action. There was more action than talking. And, I mean, since then we've gotten Mad Max Fury Road, which I feel like kind of fulfilled that. But outside of that, this movie is about as close as you're going to get. It's just like, okay, we're going to do the bare amount of talking we need to set up where we are and what we're going to do with a big sweeping establishing shot of the city that's going to be gorgeous and make you want to travel there, but then also watch this mission. That, that, and, you know, more classically, you have your movies like The Man from Hong Kong, which tried to do the same thing. They just didn't have the budget or the they had didn't have the genre the established genre to work with at the time. Right, right. Because that movie was literally just excuses for people to fight each other. <laughs> yeah, but they they spent more time making the excuses for the fights. Yeah, it's true. This kind of just gives you like mm, maybe like two minutes. Of... As long as it takes to say your this is your mission if you choose to accept it. Like, yeah, and then each person running through what they're about to do yeah. through an invisible headset in their ear. Which also, of course, makes the movie kind of have a weird pace to it because really the only narrative tension of the movie that can happen at all or can exist is when parts of the mission go wrong. So parts of the mission have right. to fail continuously. Yeah, and I I think this movie does a lot of actually really good work with the pace. Like, just for, like, what goes on in each indiv individual mission, I felt like they did a good job of setting up the movie where uh, first mission, Russian jail, goes well. Tom Cruise calls all the shots, and things go right. Even if Simon Pegg is, uh, oh, no, we shouldn't, but Tom Cruise got it right. Next mission, everything goes wrong. Yeah. Busted fucking mission. So they do a good job of setting up the stakes of, oh no, in this next mission when we say this might fail, he can fail. He can grossly fail at a mission. And I, I feel like there are real stakes to the movie because of that. It's true. They do, you know, I, I think, I almost would say that it is what a movie about, based on something like Mission Impossible as a TV show should be. Because right. in reality, you have like these four mini missions that cover one basic series of events. And, you know, it's like each one would be a half hour TV show. And that's how you get a two hour, 12 minute movie is by taking these four, what would be four individual episodes and making one movie out of them with an overarching plot. But each of those TV episodes costs $35 million. Yes, but each of those TV episodes costs $35 million. <laughs> and the end payoff of actually my wife is alive is actually just delivered as actually my wife is alive and is still bullshit. Yeah, okay, but was that really the end payoff? I mean, it's... It was the last thing that happened in the movie. But yeah, it's not it's the end. in the movies. It's one of those things where you get like you get the movie like mission completed, mission success, yes. And then you see that there's like ten minutes more movie left. You're like, oh, what's this gonna be? Oh, it's gonna be bullshit, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be some sentimental bullshit. And it's I mean it's not even like I, I'm okay with sentimental bullshit, but it's just like literally 
we had a scene where Jeremy Renner gets all weepy and is like, the reason I'm not in the field anymore is I watched your wife, I watched this guy's wife die. Which guy? That guy, Tom Cruise guy. <laughs> and then, you know, a half hour later, after some more action and shit, some more proper action and shit to quote Hot Fuzz. Um, right. After some more proper action and shit, then you're like, you know my wife? She's alive. Eh? Eh? Yeah? <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that I do like about this movie is, although, okay, sure, maybe that's bullshit, but they mention it. It takes up maybe, like, five minutes of the movie exactly. before the end. Yeah. And the rest of the movie is very tightly paced. Oh, yeah. Like, no, I mean, that's why I say I can understand why you like it is that, like, Anything like that, anything that might be a, another plot or something is just cut down to like, we'll have a scene where this happens and we might touch on it later, but it's going to be like 30 seconds of scene and then we'll touch on it for another 30 seconds later in the movie and that's all we got to do. Yeah, well, th there was one scene that I felt like did a really good job of, um, you know, it was smart scripting and editing, but when they go from Tom Cruise escapes from Russian hospital or whatever, like when he first meets Jeremy Renner to when it's like the whole group is back together. I yada yada over that in the episode because it's not a mission. Yeah. But in that span, you go from, we introduce Jeremy Renner. We have the United States government say, we can't support you or do anything for you. You are a, a ghost to us you're off the grid now, we might let you go. To getting ambushed, to getting shot at in a river, to jumping on a train like hobos, but it's a super secure train that they got to spy their way into. And that's their way from transitioning from one mission to another. This movie doesn't really slow down for more than maybe no. like a four-minute stretch at no. any point. It is really just, like I say, it's... It, it is all the action of... You could have stretched each of these into, like, four movies, into their own movies, and it would be, you know, like, it, it would be your normal James Bond, like, your normal classic 50s James Bond movie, but without any of the, like, padding and extra, like, romance or comic relief or... No romance, no jokesters, missions. We're yes. just doing missions. And so, like, quite frankly, it's just fun. And it's like, th this movie isn't doing anything particularly novel. It's not, oh, here's, we're importing gun opera and doing a John Wick. Or we're <laughs> importing uh, like Southeastern martial arts movie to the US and filming it that way. This is a very American action movie. Yeah. It is a spy thriller a bit, but it is really just an American action movie with very little bullshit and nothing really done wrong. Like it's directed well, it keeps you in the action as it's going on. Nothing stands out as like, an unmotivated character decision. It's just a well-done movie. Good for Brad Bird. Yeah, well, like I say, it's you know, it's the idea of coming down to all of the motivation, all of the the narrative motivating points in the movie are when the mission fails. So it, it is really like if if you're going to base everything around points of mission failure, 
it is really difficult to have unmotivated characters or like poor pacing because everything is well we have an action scene set up and we have everybody having a job to do and that job goes wrong so now that the job has gone wrong you have an instant new motivation to that you have to deliver on in a new tension hook yeah and every character is at least somewhat competent but also somewhat flawed and they never really break their characterization yeah. I just feel like this is one of those movies that, no, it shouldn't win an Oscar or anything, but it should be regarded as like, this is a well-done action movie. It's well-paced. It's well-directed. It's well-acted, I guess. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> For an action movie. Hiring, like, the best thing that Mission Impossible ever did for itself as a series, honestly, I mean, I know it's honestly, it's hiring Tom Cruise because he's a money-making machine. All he has to do is show up and people, you know, pay, shell out huge amounts of money to see him. Yeah, he has to show up, run, and suspend himself several hundred feet up in the air. That's it. Yeah. It's fine. But the, the smartest thing they did for people like me is hiring Simon Pegg in a relatively straight role. Not yeah. like, you know, not uh, oh, Rob, uh, what's his name? Rob Schneider. Or Rob, yeah. No, is it Rob Schneider? Who's, yeah, Rob Schneider, I think. Yeah, the terrible com comedy actor, whatever, who was yeah, in all the did. action movies in the 90s. He, like, was always the comic relief in action 90s movies, 90s action movies. It's yeah. not Rob Schneider, where you're just putting him in for, like, the worst, most cringeworthy jokes of all time. It's right. It's a relatively reasonably straight character played by an actor who's best at comedy, which means that any comedic lines he does are funny and good and well used. And then the rest of the time, he's totally fine and does a good job acting because he's a totally fine and good actor. Yeah, and I think a lot of that also has to do with the um, writing and the role. Like, they made him a competent person who belongs in each of these missions. He's a, a pivotal character to every single mission here. And also just a legitimately funny person. He has great comedic instincts as an actor and it works. Yep. He's, I, you know, he's the, he's the saving grace for me that might make this like the most mission watchable mission impossible movie for me. That's fair. Well, he's in the next one too, and the upcoming one. So, I yeah, know, are they? Are they series. good though? You, you've you sprung this one on me first. This is the first Mission Impossible movie you've made me watch. You could have chosen others. Why this one? The one. Okay, Mission Impossible one is like too classic. I, I didn't want to go that way. Mission Impossible two kind of sucks. Yeah. Uh, Mission Impossible three is a bunch of people peeling off masks. And it's like, oh, they weren't the person I thought they were. I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, but also Philip Seymour Hoffman is very good in it. He is. but Because well, he's Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, God rest him. Yeah. This is where Brad Bird stepped in. This is the first movie he did that was really significant besides like the Iron Giant and Ratatouille and The Incredibles. Yeah. And, I mean, all of those movies are... They're very competent. They're very they're clean. Very, if you're and into animation, they are really, like, beloved works of animation. Yeah. 
Whether you're I mean, talking about mass market or, you know, because Iron Giant is obviously, like, that, that's a cult on an animation classic for a lot of people. Right. But Incredibles is a massive mass market success. And then you have somebody like me and Ratatouille is like my jam in between them where I would not watch either of the others because they're too sentimental. And Ratatouille is sort of this weird oddball thing in the middle where I'm like, I like this. This is fun. Yeah, Ratatouille doesn't get sentimental until the third act twist. Yeah, and even then it's not that sentimental because it's still just such kind of a weird idea. Yeah, but so to have a guy who they understand is a very competent filmmaker step in and start doing this huge budget movie, I felt like it it was a real coming out for him and also when this movie or when this franchise really got a strong sense of direction and then the next movie has more like in-depth plot and you're focused on like what was that bring a book (laughs) yeah (laughs) well no there's like one character who's working both sides and oh you don't trust her at first but then tom cruise trusts her and then you don't know if the bad guy is gonna kill her and uh there, there's just a bit too much of like the overpowering, um, shadowy, evil guy who can control everything going on. Mm-hmm. It's just a less tight story, and there's some great, there's some great missions. There's Tom Cruise on a plane wing while the plane's but, taking off. So the question is, I, I still, I want to come back because I want you to describe every Mission Impossible movie to now to me in detail, which. Yeah, no, I'm I'm just saying like the other ones have very clear flaws. This one is a just really tight, well made movie. Is, is, is it your favorite of all of them? Oh, easily. Okay, good. See, that's that's what I want to know. Like, I I I think for me, it may it may be the most watchable for me. It may be the one I'd be most likely to go to because it is so simple and like <clears throat> unconcerned with anything other than action. Yeah. And that's kind of what makes it beautiful. And it's also like, this is going to be your best hit of Mission Impossible. This is the fix that you're going to keep trying to get again if you try another Mission Impossible. And then next thing you know, you're going to be like, oh, it's just worse. Yeah. So two favorite moments. Both of them, of course, occur when Tom Cruise is suspended from something because that's the core Tom Cruise in any Mission Impossible movie. I'm convinced it's the only way he can get an erection anymore. <laughs> he's, he's just he's like got that autoerotic yeah. asphyxiation thing, but it's about, with like belts or ropes around his waist while dangling from buildings. Yeah. Well, in Mission Impossible 2, like the main thing was like the first scene was him free climbing. And like, yeah, he had one support line, but like one support line's enough. Come on. That's what most people climb. So, what on. you think? But still. At some point, and I. I I don't know why I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say this. <laughs> We're going to find Tom Cruise dead hanging from his waist with a belt around it tied to a doorknob. That's not high enough. <laughs> it's good. Like he's going to climb up some skyscraper with a bunch of Russian teenagers. <laughs> and that's the way that he goes. It's going to be on some Russian teenagers uh, VK video. I'm just I'm just seeing like Tom Cruise in that Thai hotel room, you know. They find him with like the belt around his waist, suspended from like the the ceiling fan, spinning slowly. <laughs> the the problem is that's 
He's already been on top of the Burj Khalifa. How much higher can he go? <laughs> That's right. Oh, see, I'm I'm a terrible person. But anyway, two Not favorite really. scenes in this movie. They're both the, the same scene, really. But it's when he's climbing down the Burj Khalifa and he's saying, or whatever the name of that building is, I don't fucking know. I just pretended I, I knew instead of word Burj Khalifa. Burj Khalifa. Okay. And and when he the when uh it's uh is it I, okay yeah when uh Jeremy Renner's character is count doing the countdown yep. says twenty two minutes to door knock says the countdown is not helping says right I'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> I love that that is like the best scripted moment of this all the dialogue in this. Is Jamie Renner being like, I'm just saying. Yeah. And and it's great because it's him, be, Jeremy Renner being aggrieved and Tom Cruise finally showing human emotion. Mm-hmm. And, the, and then the other one it being when he try, when he then has to like run back down the building on his slack line. Yeah. And, you know, he gets like, he's, he can't get back to the, to the window that they're, to the apartment, to the room that they're in. And they're looking at me like the line's not lo- your line's not long enough, and he just looks. He says, "No shit!" Like right. <laughs> it's a great. That's kind of what I love about this movie is there is like the tension and release, and those are like legitimately tense moments, but they do make you laugh during them. Yeah, those were it's like you already have moments. Yeah. Like, it already gave you the sense of vertigo from showing when he was climbing up. Like, no, this is how how high up he is. He has plenty of time to think if he falls. And they still cut it up with that. And yeah, oh, it's really fun. And anybody who's just, like, looking for a good time of a movie that they don't need to, like, think that much about, I feel like this is the go-to for American action movies. So, I on the other side of that, though, I got to say, in terms of our episode, it's not very ghosty. It has it in the title. Yeah, okay. It has it in the title. It's still like, yeah, you know, it's not very ghosty. It's a little ghosty. They got the ghost protocol. They got they got his dead his dead wife coming back to life. That's as ghosty as it gets. But even then, he's like, it's like Tom Cruise giving her a creepy look from across like a from across a river. And I yeah. love and I love that well, it's like. Somehow, in that moment, they captured Tom Cruise at his most, like, 50-year-old, tans-too-much, rich guy look. Where he's got the, like, slightly stringy long hair and the, like, slightly sunburnt but mostly tan face. And you can kind of see the wrinkles coming in. Yeah, there's, like, a bunch of yellow lighting on him. And you can tell that's the sort of guy who would just say... Oh no, the bar has live music tonight. We should check that out. They don't know yeah. what the band is, but it's live music and he's in his 50s, so he's just happy to see it. And he'd be like sway dancing out there with his arms waving and you know. Yeah. It's the most that dude that Tom Cruise has ever looked in any movie. Yeah, and it was the right shot. <laughs> oh. All right. So on the flip side, full contact. It is literally just an hour and a half long 80s music video 
with lots of fighting. Yeah, I gotta say, <laughs> what a movie. What a movie. It's this, super okay. fucking fun, right? It's really fun. I do feel like you oversold how 80s the score was. Aww. Like, it's a it's a lot of, like, the very meandering... Um, there's, like, some, there's some weird Chinese music in there. I, I clossed over that. Well, not just that. I mean, there's a lot of, like, high-gain guitar, just, like, full bend up with a bit of reverb on it. And, like, that's the entire aesthetic, is just yep. hold that, a lot of sustain, go down to pentatonic, do the same thing again. <laughs> like... It, they're they're like doing an atmospheric version of. It's like the intro to a White Snake song. Exactly, exactly. Especially yeah. like the scene where he's in the in the riverboat, like in the power riverboat with the the dog in the front. Oh my god! <laughs> That's amazing. That's so good, and I love how they cut it too. Like it, it, it does look like actually precarious because it's such a thin boat. Like it's. Uh, it's a fucking canoe with an engine on it yeah. and a French bulldog in a basket. Because why not? And he's just like lounging in the back, like steering it, chilling with Yeah, the, he's like, just losing blood. Guitar. Oh, it was so good. That and and that switchblade scene too. That's the thing that gets me every time is like early in the movie when he like backs up into the rain and the rain's falling on the switchblade. And you know what? I think that was my favorite part of the score, the soundtrack to that was like when the raindrops were hitting the knife and there was just that really light chime that hit yeah. on each raindrop. That was beautiful. I it was. Whoever made that decision, genius. I love it. It added so much to the tension and just made you like legitimately scared of this person. Yep. And knowing that it didn't let you get away from the fact that there was about to be some serious violence rendered upon someone. Oh, and that's the thing I love about movies like this too. And you know, we brought, I brought up a uh, man from Hong Kong too, but I love that idea of like these action heroes who are like way more violent than necessary. And that's oh, yeah. so Chow Yun Fat in this movie. Like he's just way more violent than he has to be. Is he, though? Like, maybe in that scene he is, but in the rest of it, he's kind of being like, oh, I'm matching your aggression. Well, the Ice House scene, too. He's way more violent than he has to be in the Ice House scene, where he slaps the hook into the dude. Well, how else was he going to get the information? (laughs) The guy wasn't going to tell him without getting hooked more. Oh, see, that just makes me cringe, though. Yeah. That wasn't great. And and then he stabs the other guy through the hand on the ice block and, like, shows it to the other dude. Yeah. I mean, okay. I I don't know if he was necessarily more violent than he needed to be, but they showed us the violence way more than they needed to. Yeah. Like, they made it very clear that, like, they definitely weren't doing, like, the modern American action movie thing of, like, oh, no, we're going to cut in between each hit so you don't feel anything. It was like, oh, no, 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 no. No, when you stab somebody, these are the things that happen to their body. It is grotesque. And yeah, he just did that. I don't know if I've ever seen a movie, any other movie that so clearly represents, the, like I say, it's like the jump 
between the 1980s Jackie Chan beat him up and then right. what became Gun Opera. And this is like the bridge movie that you're seeing. Yeah, that does make sense. And I don't know. I mean, I spent a lot of time wondering if um, there were just some cultural differences while I was watching this movie. Because I'm like, when they're saying, oh, where's the ammo? And like the only two people in each scene have a gun. I'm like, the ammo's at the gun store. That's around the corner in America. Like, that's not a problem to get. Also, all these people should have guns. They're very easy to come upon here. I I think that was probably a mistranslation because he's like, I think it's supposed to be like, where's the explosives? Yeah, and I got that at the end when yeah, all the cars when blew up. started blowing up. Yeah. <laughs> but up until then, I, I was very confused. Okay, okay, that's fair. But that's just some translation issues. Yeah, that that's just a translation issue. Still, like, I just, this is one of those movies where I, you know, I think, I I always see it on my shelf and I'm like, oh, that's going to be, that's such a dumb movie. It's, I don't know. Do I even need to own this? I put it on. I'm like, okay, yeah, no. I remember immediately why I love it now. (laughs) I feel like having that first knife fight scene, like the, like, step back and let the rain hit the blade one so early really helps. It does. Like, it just sets the mood for it. Like, oh, okay, we're in for this. Although, I do got to say, it wasn't my favorite scene. And neither was the Ice House one. I think the thing that I enjoyed the most was the car chase after the heist. Yeah. I mean, it's just so real. I mean, it it really does look like two guys driving old, shitty, beat-up cars trying to fight each other with those cars in heavy traffic. Yeah. And that also, to me, was like a big cultural difference point. Like, they're not romanticizing the cars. This isn't a big car culture thing. No. These aren't, like, um, a Mustang racing, I don't know, whatever other muscle car. They're just fucking cars in traffic. And and, and that's all the framing they need. Yep. It's that idea, like, it's such a, so clearly a movie that's trying to interpret an American action movie for an audience that doesn't have the same cultural cues. Right. And and I feel like if you go back to, like, 1992 and show them, part of the context for this is I finally got around to watching Fast and the Furious 8 last week. And if you brought that movie to the same audience that this movie was targeted at, they wouldn't give a shit about the cars. Like, yeah. it wouldn't translate at, at that time to that culture. And I kind of loved that, like, these were just whatever. It was like some fucking station wagons crashing into each other and falling apart and not great driving. Like, they were running all over the place. There were no, like, good stunt drivers. It was just, oh, this is what happens when you smash two cars into each other. Like, the only, like, real solid stunt in it was when they ramped one at the end. Yeah. No, I mean, everything, like, it, it's that cool. To me, it's a lot of that cool sort of the same thing you get with, like, the tie, you know, the raid and uh, that guy who came before the uh, before uh, Tony Jaa who sort of taught him all of his stuff. I don't know if you've seen any of his movies. 
Oh, and I think I know the guy you're talking about. He he had like his scenes cut from the Star Wars Seven, whatever. It may be, but so there, you know, there's like this guy who's a famous famous action star who is Tony Jaw's mentor as an actor. And if you've ever seen any of his movies, his his Thai action movies, they're just the most ridiculous fucking over the top stunts that are like then not really like played up that well because it's just sort of a totally different idea like or like the stunts are played up or the moments are played up but none of the the trappings are played up you know it's the same sort of thing okay. with like the classic uh Jackie Chan action movies where it's like you know it's him swinging a ladder around and hitting people with it or like swinging through some railings and hitting people or that. And it's not him running down the most expensive tower in the world to highlight this beautiful location they're in or some other like crazy, like, oh my God, can you believe this amazing place or this amazing car or this amazing trapping that we've included? It's like, can you believe okay. this fucking stunt that you're seeing in front of you, which looks way too real and like somebody probably almost died doing it. So one of those guys who's like, I'm doing my stunts and we're doing them in camera and yeah. whoever's getting hit needs to be a good enough martial artist to understand how to absorb it kind of thing. Yeah. And that's what I, I mean, that's what I like about this movie particularly is it's just such a weird crossover of that, like where they're trying to make a modern action movie, but they have all of that mentality. So you, yeah, you almost have this very like street fighter esque Chow Yun fat. Where, you know, he, like, punches some dude and the guy, like, flies back into a car wheel and bounces off of it. And you're just like, that was fucking cool. Like, Right. And at the same time, I feel like there's always that, whatever you want to call it, like, him and the main bad guy both have, like, their limit break or whatever. Of yeah. We also have a gun. We have guns yep. that we're really good with. Oh, the scene where they shoot and the bullets bounce off each other. Oh, oh man. There was so much going on in that scene. <laughs> that was, I mean, I was enthralled through that, but at the same time, I was trying to figure out, like, is he still friends with his friend person guy? What's going on? I've kind of lost the plot here. Never mind, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and then it, and it builds up to this whole, like, pouring rain, fire, like, you know, all these cars exploding and the motorcycle and your electric guitar is going, and it's just... Yeah. <laughs> I, I did think that there was an interesting dichotomy going on in this movie that seemed very early 90s, where you, you kind of brought it up on the main episode, um... But, like, the bad guy is, like, vaguely gay throughout the movie, and then at the end is just, like, straight up about it. Yeah. And the hero doesn't fuck. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't. And, like, one of his first scenes is he's a bouncer in a club, and people are boning in the bathroom, which, come on, who among us? And yeah. he breaks it up. Yeah. And that was why it was hard for me to get on board with this movie as much as I would want to is like, there's people boning in the bathroom of a bar and he tells them making love is sacred. <laughs> Do it in bed. 
<laughs> Which I have a lot of issues with that line. First off, no, it's not. Second, you don't know the shit that I can do in bed, brother. <laughs> it can get gross. It can get very unsacred. <laughs> and, nothing, and so, like, I just secret about the you know the location does not make anything you do sacred because. There is nothing pure about my mattress. Uh, which, by the way, uh, new sponsor, Casper Mattresses. You can do gross <laughs> shit on them. <laughs> and so, like... Like a sponge, did you to clean. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that did legitimately put me off from our hero character. Like, he doesn't fuck. His girlfriend says, like, oh, no, we're not going to fuck. And he's like, yeah, no, we don't fuck. I'm going to bite your arm. But whatever. That's fine. <laughs> But it's fair. Going back to what you said about like the weird homophobia of this movie, when you set it up as, oh no, this guy is pure and good, he does not put his penis in anything, <laughs> versus the ultimate evil is our gay man. Who puts his it penis wasn't, in it's everything. Like, yeah, that's the most deviant evil thing they can come up with, apparently, I guess. Yeah. It wasn't just like, oh, he's evil and gay. It was like, they were setting up this weird sexual dichotomy. Yeah. And if I have to take a side, it's not Chow Yun Fats. No, I know. He does cool knife stuff, I, but it, that, that's just not like the sort of penetration I'm most interested in. <laughs> fair, fair. You did but not he expect does this get, tangent. <laughs> he does get the like, you know, ride off on the motorcycle screaming guitar outro. True, but he also has like two Jason Pierre Paul hands and no lady. Fine, fine. I mean, so look, I'm just saying it's not a complete win. Yeah, okay. So maybe the bad guy wins. I mean, maybe that's what we take away from this. We may just disagree on who the bad guy is. Yeah. Still, though. Basically an hour and a half long music video. Oh, yeah. It's great. Also, when he jumps the three stories off a building for no reason, you could have cut. You could have acted like he ran down the stairs and then just been like, oh, no, this is in continuity and he got here. Nope. All of a sudden, this guy can jump three stories. I'm okay with that. It's just like a random superpower they just threw at him. Yeah with nothing preparing you for it in the rest of the movie. Everything else is fairly gritty and realistic, or at least movie realistic. Like, yeah. there's consequences to injury. But no, he just jumps off a building and sticks the landing, and then goes for it. Yeah. Uh, it, it, is one, it, is a, it is a strange little gem in the action movie canon that, is get like, and I've been watching a lot of Chayun Fat, a lot of his old action movies before he came to the U.S. And you know, you get your John Woo hits, you get your killers, you get your uh, hard boiled, and after that, there's nothing else as good as this, like that I've found so far. Well, for Chow Young Fat, I mean, John Woo still had an illustrious career. Well, yeah, for Chow Young Fat. I'm talking about the, the yeah. Chow Young Fat early career action movies. This is one yeah. of the strange gems. 
Yeah, and it's great. And I also kind of love how he's kind of baby-faced for being this brutal of a killer. Yeah. I mean, he he's just handsome. He's he's super handsome. He's super handsome. And of course, he's got like the mom tattoo and like he never really looks hardcore. He always looks like a guy who's not hardcore trying to look hardcore. Like Yeah. He looks he looks like a joke idea of an undercover cop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he... Oh, man. what? I'm blanking on the reference I'm trying to make. But yeah, no, he, he does... He looks more the part of, like, uh, polite, uh, stoic, respectful hero who doesn't bone more than he does the guy who is just going to, like, pull out a butterfly knife and murder nine people. You know, I, I think his character, it's, it's, it's a very strong relation to, like, Keanu Reeves' character in Point Break. I'm going to need you to elaborate on that. Well, I mean, that like, you know, Keanu Reeves, he's supposed to infiltrate this whole, like, gang and, like, you know, help them pull off a robbery and be this, like, hardcore dude. But he can never stop really being this sort of baby-faced Keanu Reeves. Like, even when he's doing action stuff, you're never, yeah. like... Keanu Reeves hardcore. It's always like, oh, Keanu Reeves is very handsome and uh, can also do. He also does some stunts, I guess. Yeah, I guess I never really thought about how much like Patrick Swayze being a smoke show tempered that when I yeah. watch it. Yeah, that Patrick Swayze does immediately overshadow any of Keanu Reeves' inherent handsomeness. Or Gary Busey's, quite frankly. Well- <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't I don't think that really ever had to worry. I think Gary Busey would have been at a loss no matter who his co-star was. Yeah, it, I mean it's <laughs> tough, be, especially when he paired up with Nick Nolte and you'd be like, "Wow, Gary Busey really got overshadowed by Nick Nolte here." Well, especially when Dr. Cox is there too. He's in pretty good shape. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh. So, yeah, I feel like long and short of it, is Tom Cruise gets horny from Heights and we get horny for everyone in Point Break. Yeah, pretty much. And, and for Chow Yun-Fat. And for Chow Yun-Fat. God bless him. Yeah, he can't not be horny for Chow Yun-Fat. Did he ever do porn like Jackie Chan? I don't think he did, no. He was like a weird... He was like a sort of... Uh, I don't want to say rom-com, but he was very much like a... like you know, teen sensation actor for a while in China. Like, this very, like, cutesy, young, handsome lead in movies who then transitioned into being a badass as he got older. Okay. And apparently peaked here. And and he continues. I don't know if you've seen any recent photos of Chiang Fat, but he continues to be like ageless and amazing looking like one of those people who only gets more attractive the older they get that's unfair it really is like i, I you know he, he's just yeah you really shouldn't be getting better looking the older you get but he's out there just sort of continually doing his thing and being super attractive and 
defying you know, like, all curves and making us all feel like shit. Yeah, like he, he, there, there. I, I've shared with you a picture, a recent picture of Chow Yun Fat. Oh shit! I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> that is a handsome gentleman. He he is. So he's something for all of us to aspire to. Yeah, a uh, thing for us all to fall short of. Yeah, that too. But in the meantime, you get to enjoy something glorious like uh, Full Contact, which is just... Which is, I would just like Full Contact with Chow Yun-Fat. Exactly, there you go. See, it all comes back around. And on that note, I, I mean, do you have any do you have any other thoughts on, on Ghosts of the Past or... Uh, Cheyenne Fat or Full Contact or Tom Cruise or uh, Ghost Protocol? Uh, I did have a favorite line I wanted to get to out of uh, Full Contact. Uh, doing business is like taking a shit. <laughs> Smoothness is important. <laughs> that is a life lesson right there. I believe in that in my day-to-day -day life. God, ugh. Yeah, that movie, everything about it is just so glorious. I don't know. It's such a fun, weird ride. Yeah. And then also, like, we, we talked about it at the top of the episode about whether Virgin was super slutty or not. I mean, who doesn't masturbate before and during crimes? I, <laughs> I don't. It's true. It's true. I mean, really, she's just very modern, and they weren't ready for her, her moder modernity. Yeah, this was just like the conservatism of 1992, and in the year 2017, rub one out when you're stealing explosives. Exactly. Yeah. All right. On that note, everyone, we will see you again soon with another episode of Action Reaction. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at these same time. You can find Troy on Twitter at PDLMMA. You can find our shows over on SoundCloud and YouTube Action Reaction. Subscribe, like them whatever else it all helps us a lot anytime you want to talk to us reach out we will talk right back probably maybe maybe text you intimate photos of ourselves watch these movies talk to us about them on twitter and then see what happens in your dms it'll probably be fun exactly all right everyone we'll see you soon bye everybody